welcome back to this week's episode on identity and belonging this is going to be such an interesting one and we're joined by some of our friends so sit back and enjoy um, I'm from Botswana and Zimbabwe. I'm a re- recent graduate from Skidmore College with a B- BS in Studio Art. Um, my, do I say what I identify as? Or yeah, I think that's the thing to mention. Um, I am a queer black woman. Lovely. Hi, Simone. Hello. <laughs> um, my name is Afaname Iriang. I am a recent graduate from American University with a um, major in journalism with a minor in justice and law. I identify as a Nigerian American woman. I was born in Nigeria, but I grew up um, and I moved to the States when I was seven. I've grown up in the States ever since. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> Thanks, Afaname. <laughs> I can go next. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Cynthia, aka Auntie Lenny. Um, I'm a rising senior at Earlham College in Nowhere, Indiana. <laughs> and I identify as a Black queer woman. Um, and I grew up mostly in South Africa and partly in Swaziland. I was born in the Netherlands and I'm originally in So I tell people, like, I'm from Ghana, or I say, like, I'm from South Africa because it makes it's easier for people in the U.S. when I say I'm from South Africa. So, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Auntie Lenny. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Sarah Masha. I just graduated slash will graduate in August. It's complicated. Um, from Skidmore, International Affairs and Documentary Storytelling minor. Um, the I identify as has always been very complicated for me, which is why I'm here to discuss this. So I don't really know, but I think it's easier for me to just say that I'm Moroccan um, because being internationally kind of blur and that's kind of part of the things that I would like to discuss here. But let's just leave it at Sarah for now. Hey, Sarah. Um, hi, hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, I guess it was really great to hear you guys introduce yourselves. Um, I think people already know who I am, I'd assume. But for our guests here, who I'm meeting for the first time, um, my name is Kai. I just recently graduated from Skidmore as a public health major with a minor in anthropology. Um, I am Sierra Leonean. Um, I actually moved to the U.S. for the purposes of school and I haven't had sort of like a long-term relationship with this country. Um, Yeah, so I identify as a Black Muslim woman. Um, I guess there are other social identities which I also hold, but I guess for now, this is what I want to put out there. So it's great meeting you guys. Excited for our conversation today. So since everyone has introduced themselves, I think it's only fair that I do the same. My name is Sia and I identify as a Black woman. 
and i'm very happy that everyone could join us today so excited to hear what you guys think and yeah welcome to the social experiment so to start us off and like just give us something to think about i'm going to read a quote um and i'm very interested to hear what you guys think about it so this is a quote by Kwame Nkrumah and I'm sure most of us have heard it time and time again um this quote says I am not African because I was born in Africa but because Africa was born in me I just want to you know get to know if this quote resonates with you or what are your thoughts when you've heard it being like um recited and stuff um yeah um, so I think that that quote is really pertains to what's going on in the world right now and um, what's happening in a way. So I'll start this off and just give like a little anecdote. So I wrote a poem um, like two weeks, like a, like a month ago or so. And in the poem, I tried to intertwine um, um, slave references and like colonial references in the poetry too. And uh, I used in the in the poem and I sent it to a friend of mine who was African-American and she an authentic coming from me because I was an African woman and I was kind of offended by that because my thought in it is you know globally yes our stories are very different um, and they're distinct in their own little ways like like yes of course Africa is not dealing with the same thing that like and at its core Africa is not dealing with the same thing that like the United States may be or what um, the Caribbean islands may be dealing with but at the root of it all is white supremacy and all of us whether we're from the whether we were born in the continent or not are still subjugated to white oppression because we are black because of where we are perceived to have come from so I think it's so true. I, I really do resonate with that statement because even though I haven't been back home in so long and I miss home, I still resonate as being an African woman, whether I'm in the United States or whether I'm back home in Africa. I just feel like regardless of where you are born in the, the diaspora, you are still black, meaning you will still be treated the same way wherever you go. Like, the, the examples of what was happening in, with um, Black people in China and all around the world. So I just feel like, again, regardless of where you're from in the diaspora, you still will face the same issues based on who people perceive you to be because you are Black. Yes. Um, this reminds me, uh, just touching on that, this reminds me of um, something I used to say when I first came here and have been saying for the a, a while is that I only truly like felt black or realized my blackness when I came to America mm -hmm. um my nationality and like my ethnic identity um but at the same time being aware that because I am black or at least to be able to speak the local language mm -hmm. But the more time that I have spent here, the more that I realized that we do have that shared, ex not the exact like shared history, but the shared experience of our But it's just interesting that, I don't know, I'm just thinking of back home that it was more so a thing about what nationality you were and 
I'd been talking with my uncle a lot and saying that, you know, I feel more Zimbabwean than Botswana because the Botswana were really like discriminatory against me and my mom as Zimbabweans and called us. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and called us like slurs and stuff. Oh my God, it is coming down. I'm going inside. So sorry if that was disjointed and breaking up a bit. Oh no, that's all right. We could hear you clearly. A lot of what you said, Simone, resonated with me because I mean, you saw kind of introducing myself. I think this is something that I'm figuring out because in Morocco, it was my ethnicity that mattered and my asal, meaning my heritage and where that comes from, rather than here, it's this. And I also spent more time abroad than in Saratoga. The cold really got to me. So I just tried to be away. So, I, but being in, in the context here and then being, I think I remember in my first couple of years being labeled as things that I had never heard of. I never knew what a person of color was because in Morocco, that's just like not the dynamic. Um, being othered in some way, but not really having the words to explain the otherness. Um, when people see me, I'm very, very light skinned, but then my hair is like, oh, wait, but what are you? You know, is the question. I'm like, I don't know what I am. So I just refer back to international Moroccan. Technically, my legal status is alien, you know, because it just doesn't really fit here. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't because I still feel the otherness and the projection of things onto what I physically embody as well as what I don't physically embody. Like my Muslim identity is one that I've thought and rethought and my like Africanness because it's put in question, but I don't put it in question because um, I went to this boarding school where um, in South Africa and it was Pan-African and we discussed a lot of what, what it means to be African. One of the readings we were introduced to um, to reflect on was distinguishing between African by blood and African by soil, but saying that both are, you, you still keep your connection to the continent. And it's not a measure of how much or percentage, because that's still from a mentality of purity, as if you can separate. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm kind of ranting. No, it does. It does make sense. And yeah. Um, I don't know. There are just a lot of nuances that I think I've only started realizing about me and where I come from after being removed from context and then put back in. Like I moved back to Morocco and like, what do I bring back with me? Because I inherently changed being, identifying as a woman of color just changed my dynamic with the world on this side of the world. Because that is what, how my body occupies space, you know? Yeah, um, I, I definitely hear what you're saying, Sarah, and I think I, I agree with you in the sense of like, um, was it Simone that said that you feel your blackness when you're in the US? I think that's something I've also definitely felt. And I think that I feel even more African when I'm here. And I feel like I'm connected to the continent, not necessarily by like the color of my skin, but more so to do with the culture and the different cultures that I've been introduced to and how that has created me as a person and like the way I behave and who I am. So like, for instance, I 
was in boarding school, I knew Sia from the age of 12 and we were in Swaziland together. And like that really changed the way, the way I behaved as a person as well as living in South Africa. And so when I, when I see people here and I just hear they're from any of the African countries, I just, I feel so much more closer to them. And I feel this movement, this feeling of solidarity where it's like our cultures may not have been exactly the same, but there's a shared idea of like community that we understand and we have a lot of significance in. And I think that the idea of putting significance in community is what really connects me with other Africans. Um, so true, so true. Like I 100% agree. I get very excited when I encounter like other African students and I just have this innate like, I don't know, like there's this sort of connection because there are a lot of, especially, uh, I don't know, when I also think of identity, I also tie it with nationality. And um, in addition to that, like traveling as not just an inter like an African person, but also as a black person and the kinds of um, things that you encounter whilst traveling. I think those are things I identify a lot more with, with other Africans, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, especially with international students, just being like, take like uprooted from our own roots and just feeling othered because of our nationality but at the same time finding a solidarity with other international students it's like encountering pieces of home and it creates its own like new identity um i oh i uh, I definitely think I, so like when everyone's speaking, like I sort of terms come up to me. Um, Sarah, you were talking, I think you mentioned and Simone, I think everyone here is like sort of alluded to like the different identities we hold. And I just want to say identity and belonging is a really nuanced topic. Um, we all hold different social identities social identities and depending on our political context, depending on where we are located um, physically, uh, um, these shift. Um, I think one of you guys mentioned sort of moving away or being removed from the continent and how that sort of amplified other aspects of our identity, such as our Africanness, such as our Blackness. Um, and moving back to the continent and being more like clinging on to my national identity as a clinging on to my gender identity, sort of my ethnic, my ethnicity, gender, how those are more salient when I'm back home as opposed to here. Um, also, I think, well, it is true for me, as well as I think some of you hear that when we're here and you hear somebody else being from the continent or identifying as African, um, you feel closer to them. And to me, I've always rationalized that as a sort of moving away from individualism, which is what the dominant culture here is and which is what is foreign to me and unfamiliar, instead of moving towards like this idea of moving towards notions of like commun community, like speaking a community away from home because that's what I've been used to connections, community, and just, um, I don't even know how to put this, but it's like 
being home, most of our identities or the way in which we even navigate space are mostly with um, or based on connections with others, based on forming communities. We live in communities and we carry ourselves as such. And then moving to the US and that sort of shifting drastically and everyone here, almost a culture, the dominant culture is like individualism. Everyone looking out for themselves and not really thinking of others outside of the self. Um, but yeah, um, also my identity as a Muslim woman is one I've struggled with, sort of finding my place in. I've struggled with my spirituality and just the fact that people don't perceive me when they see me. They don't and everyone looked at me like, really? Oh, okay. sorry guys, <laughs> I got tripped up there for a moment. But yeah, I just wanted to say, I definitely do agree with you guys. And just like thinking of, and I guess this leads us to what it means being African. I think most of you sort of alluded to that or answered that question, I guess vaguely or just on top of it. But I guess, my question to all of you would be how do we or how do you guys define being african and what i guess in what context have you found this identity being questioned in a way um i don't know if anyone... oh sorry was anyone else speaking I'm go sorry. ahead Simone. go ahead um and it's another like weirdly like um, sort of controversial one, but I only, I think it became a stronger identity for me once I was taken out of that culture um, because I was always like aware of uh, being Zimbabwean and being Motswana and being raised with like parts of that culture, like speaking sometimes in Debele, on wearing traditional clothes and eating um, certain foods. And those were all very like, I would say superficial aspects of it. Like, because I was younger, I never quite understood some of the more nuanced things. Like I hated having to like kneel whenever I served like male elders in the family, like having to, always serve like the oldest man first and having like family members comment like oh i i'm so glad i can come home and receive this sort of treatment from someone so young and i'm like ah okay but it's interesting that the like my cultural identity as a Motswana and a zimbabwean um has strengthened with being away from home it's like I feel those parts of my culture slipping away the more I become um, involved in a foreign culture and realizing that like losing that tie to home has made me like immerse myself in those same superficial things that I didn't take that I took for granted. And it's a weird like push and pull because now it's like I'm not sure if I'm identifying this way because I'm scared of losing something or if I'm just genuinely becoming more mature and identifying more with my understanding my home identity and culture. 
I think this is. Can you guys hear me? Am I audible? First of all. Yes. 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 Um, okay. I think this is like a conversation that Kai and I have had um, in terms of. Well, we even talked about it while we're drafting this section of how um, get, being outside of the continent of Africa, like you had to claim, so to speak, the title of being an African. Like whereas when you're being home, when you're home, it's um, things like are you Swazi? What's your tribe? You know, those are like the most immediate forms of like social identifications whereas once you get out of that it's like particularly in the context of the u.s it's because they don't necessarily even know the different african countries that are there me saying i'm from swaziland first of all brings out so many questions so i just i'm like oh i'm african and that kind of like gives people an idea or a certain image of the I guess the type of person that I am kind of thing and also but like in the same vein it creates the, some form of like detachment from like it's like if I'm claiming too and leaning too strongly on my Africanness am I leaning less on my Swazi-ness of it all and like just like those different feelings of detachment and it's like what should I be claiming and what should I not be claiming I don't know if any of you have had those thoughts or something and it's just like kind of like an echo or along the same vein of what Simone was talking about too up like um talking about an African African identity versus like having your individual like national identity yeah, and I was just going to lead that to like how it actually leads you into like this kind of, I guess with every like social identity, you have this need to perform that identity kind of thing. Like with your national identity, you know you need to perform it in like what you wear or like, you know, like how you guys speak or like how you do your traditional dances or whatever. And like there's this, I don't know this expectation to also perform your Africanness, and it's just, I, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where I was going with this anyway, but I don't know what do you guys think about that? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, am I not connected? Someone mentioned that when they... Oh, Sia's back. Sia, are you back? Oh, I didn't know I was gone. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> <I don't know."> <laughs> <laughs> It catches me by surprise. And then I hear dead ends. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I think someone here mentioned uh, when they say they're African, it comes sort of with, preconceived notion and I think that's like one of the things you have to deal with or one of the aspects I guess that this um, claim that we make to our Africanness being away from home having to deal with like preconceived notions and also um, this performance that he is talking about um, I don't necessarily think that when we put on our 
um, national costumes or speak our local languages or eat certain foods that it's a performance but I think when we're here there's almost this expectation to be performative because of these preconceived notions that people have of Africans like what they think being African means that we try to so I guess desperately cling on or desperately portray that it becomes performative um i kind of i'm so happy that ca invited me to have this conversation with you guys because um for me my identity as an african woman um living in the united states has kind of been weird in a sense so let me i feel like i exist in two worlds because on one hand the first seven years of my life i was raised in nigeria and then I was uprooted from that and I was brought to the United States. And, you know, living in a Nigerian household in America, the one thing my parents always told me was, you know, in the house, we are Nigeria. And when you go outside, that is when you are black. And so for me, for a very long time, I've tried to find this balance of being African and black. Like for, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes for me, I feel like it's, I can't necessarily not that I can't necessarily claim it because I do claim being African wherever I go. The first thing I tell people about my identity is I'm Nigerian, but because I've been removed for so long, like I haven't been back home for 15 years. Sometimes I feel like is my Africanness performative because what I know about Africa is what I've, you know, been taught by my parents. Um, I know for me, for example, like my specific tribe in the United States, like, every, well, I, don't know, I don't know why I said tribe, but like my specific group in the United States, we have like summer, um, summer conventions where everyone like congregates together. And those were really great moments for me as a kid. But after I was gone from that, I w and I went back into the world and I'm not home, I'm seen as a black woman. But it's so weird because I feel like if I tried to claim, you know, being African because I've been removed from Africa for so long, maybe it doesn't necessarily come off authentic. But then if I try to interact with, you know, Black Americans, and I'm like, I don't know if I fit into that reality either because ancestrally and historically, I'm not connected to that either. So I feel like my identity has kind of always been in limbo in a sense. And for me, culturally i celebrate being nigerian and i celebrate and i want and i and i and becoming an adult i've actively taken the steps to educate myself on other african countries and like other african traditions and like especially being a nigerian woman and i was like make sure when you're saying you're celebrating african culture you're not celebrating just west african culture like you're actually taking the time out to learn about other people but i don't know sometimes i don't know i guess what i'm saying is like i have kind of found myself in this space where I just say I'm black because I feel like if I try to claim the African side I've been removed for too long to kind of be able to claim it and then if I try to claim the black side I can't because ancestrally and historically I'm not and my I don't know I don't know I guess I'm rambling but yeah it's I'm very interested to hear like everyone else's thoughts because I don't know it's it's good to hear different perspectives. I'm sorry, that was rambly. Ooh, girl, I, I just wanted to like, oh, yes, you spoke to my soul. Um, okay, two things. First, on the being um, like African at home and then being like black outside, it was more, 
I will go off on private schools in Botswana because the private school I went to for one year, they told us not to speak Setswana because mm -hmm. other students wouldn't be able to understand. I mean, granted, I don't speak it, but I'm just like, this is the language of the country. And you're telling, these white teachers are telling us not to speak that language. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just mind boggling to me that that kind of uh, identity was like suppressed when you were outside your home. And even little things I'm noticing, like people would have home names and school names. Um, like when I'm at school, I get, I'm called Simone, but when I'm at home, I'm called Kanyisi, Kanyi, and if I'm in trouble, I'm called Kanyisile. And it's, it's so, like, my traditional, like, my Ndebele name, or I'm not sure if it's Ndebele or Zulu, but my Ndebele name is associated with home, whereas, like, my, my white name, like, my non-African name is more pat more so used to be addressed in the outside world because it's easier to pronounce and all that stuff and i don't know that's something that i've just noticed and it's it's been interesting that you point it was interesting you pointed out that like your culture is confined to your home because outside of that like people won't exactly get it um and another a reason why I always like specified that I'm from Botswana and then I would say it's like both of these countries are right above South Africa is because when I would say I was African, people like no one from my region, like big groups have emigrated here, whereas it's mostly been like people from West Africa. Um, mm -hmm. So people wouldn't know like what the hell my country was like they would associate africa with west africa and that's why i felt i had to um differentiate if that makes sense mm. uh, grew up in south africa in johannesburg and my family like moved there from zim when i was about four years old but then like our external family was never around us so i didn't grow up having extended family like close by or growing up with cousins and aunts and uncles and whatnot and so currently I have two housemates and they're both from southern Africa one from Zimbabwe one from Zambia and they're always talking about like you know back at home your uncles asking for this you know your grandfather this like and how they're like how they behave in their home setting so it makes me realize that like growing up what being Ghanaian was to me was like being in my home and my mm -hmm. idea of what being a Ghanaian was is different from other Ghanaians. So even when I would claim that I am Ghanaian, people are like, no, you're not. Like, you don't speak tree, you don't speak Krabo. I'm like, okay, yeah, but this is my heritage. This is like what I've been taught. This is, these are the foods I grew up eating, you know, like, mm -hmm. so it's been tough. But I think that being in the US has allowed me to run away from this fears I have of being in that limbo because no one actually knows what the culture is, right? So mm -hmm. I, I'm able to say I am from Ghana or I'm from, Africa, which is where like I grew up for most for most part of my life and people don't doubt me they don't try and tell me who I am and what I'm not you know so it, it's been a weird thing but I I totally have identity crisis lol <laughs> yeah that was my ramble yeah um I think 
Um, I, guess, I, I guess Ofunime raised this up about whether they can claim being, whether you can claim being um, Black or African and things like that. Um, I think we are Black and African. Um, I think definitely when we, I think it's, uh, I think the term Black and African Ameri African Americans have sort of been, I guess, used or evoked um, synonymously, or probably just the way we, um, I guess maybe it's a misuse or a misconception of the word, like not understanding, ugh, what am I trying to say? Okay, I'm rambling here. But I think we are Black and African. I think we definitely, there are definitely differences between our racial identity and our national identity or our ethnicities. Um, and with regards to language, I think it's one of the many horrors, I would say, of imperialism in a way in which the African culture, sort of if there's such a thing as African culture, and um, well, there is a thing as African culture, and it's many diversities um, and many varying cultures that encompass this lone African identity. I think it's sad that our culture sort of colonial languages are a vessel of our culture they're not just a means of communication as we see with other cultures such as asian culture and other things like that and i think that's where the difficulties come in like we have um and i think i'm referencing a book that i read uh i have forgotten the title but i know it's by ngugi wathiongo about decolonizing Ooh, I can't remember the full title, but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I think it's rather unfortunate our culture. Wait, you said Ngugi? Sorry to yeah. interrupt. Yeah. That's the colonizing yeah. the mind. That's the title. Thank you, Sia. Um, but yeah, I think the, I make reference to this particular book in which he talks about like language and how our culture is sort of the only culture that is non-Western, but is sort of carried by western languages and just how important language is when we think of our cultures and our identity and how sometimes it's it's hard i think it's definitely hard to speak on identities in our cultures especially when we go to schools where we're told don't speak creole or don't speak sort of the timni or our ethnic languages like where i'm from um, but I don't necessarily want to put the blame necessarily on like our teachers, not saying like a white teacher at an international, oh yeah, that they will carry the blame. But um, I think like in the grand scheme of things, it just shows sort of like the effects of imperialism within the continent and just neocolonialism. But yeah, I'm sorry guys for rambling, but it's hard to like gather your thoughts in these conversations speak them out guys because I think I'm very confused um so for context I am Moroccan and in when I was 16 I went for I went to this boarding school and it was very Africa focused you know like the continent and blah blah, blah and all these things but um there was always an African identity in me but I think that's because in Morocco you have 
indigenous Amazigh and then Arab, but then it has been so intermixed that you don't even know. But then, you know, like this is kind of what I meant about ethnic differences um, versus like coming in the US where it's all these different contexts. And I think dissecting what it means North African, there is this anti-blackness um, sense to how people speak about being North African. But I think that's changing and has been changing and it's very problematic because we all know how it works it's like divide the people so you conquer you know so creating almost this illusion of oh but you guys are north african so you're better than sub-saharan or like the creating this hierarchy of you're closer to us and like even linguistically someone brought up like the language as a vessel and a medium in morocco french is not the national language english is very present french is present Arabic is present and we have classical Arabic which is written the way the Quran is and the way um, our law and stuff like that is classical Arabic but then we have Darija which is our dialect that is mixed with Amazigh different dialects as well as French and Spanish and Arabic and all these things but it's not written so it's just a dialect that doesn't have as much um, weight but Arab invasion of Morocco and North Africa in general is also a thing that I know personally I've had to think about and reflect about what does that mean and I haven't gotten to any conclusions but then I come here to the US and I, I don't have you know it's five people who are like okay let me listen to your story and the history of your nation and blah blah, blah and all these things to like figure out what you are they're just like where do you fit are you black are you white are you a person of color like what who are you and I'm like I just I I, I don't know without, I don't know if this makes sense, but basically there's a lot of things I'm thinking about in terms of African and where North Africa fits and why there has been a separation both from the countries themselves as well as the rest of the continent. Like I know Morocco only rejoined the African Union not too long ago because we're trying to fix these relations that have been not great, whether um, people or politically, I don't know. Um, I I think, I'm not sure if it's Auntie Lenny or Ofanime who mentioned this about like, I think it's Ofanime who says, who said um, all the sort of tying everything back to like white supremacy. Um, I think that definitely would be part of the answer, I guess, Sarah, to what you're saying in terms of even the, divide we see between North Africans and the rest of the sub-Saharan, the rest of the continent, um, and how all these divides, I guess, all these um, cultural wars are sort of mechanisms through which, I guess, global white supremacy operates. Um, what we've been told, I guess, either or, I guess we've all come across conversations where it's seemingly that our many many languages and our many many cultures are there to divide us and i don't think that's necessarily the case i mean we've seen push for oh we should have one language we should have sort of the um we should all communicate using the same language or sort of the notions that our diversity with our diversity as a continent comes the division and separation and i don't think that's necessarily true I think that's just one of the, I don't want to say teachings, but I guess one of the agents, many, many agents of like global white supremacy and 
I think that's like underpinning to all these divides we see. Um, it's also important to remember, or I guess to, yeah, to bear in mind the politics as well that sort of underlie all these things. And as we, as a continent, we are still, I guess, a part of, God, what am I trying to say? Um, I think when we speak on racism, when we speak on being Black, I think most times people forget or push to the side that racism or white supremacy isn't just endemic to the U.S. It's not just the U.S. problem. And I, but I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very comforting not only to think that I am grasping with this and doing doing the work, whatever that means, but also having spaces like this to talk about because like I said earlier, you know, not everyone has the time to sit and talk about just Moroccan complications of identity and then expand it to, okay, let's talk about Africa and then let's talk about global. And I'm just really appreciative of this and this space and everything that you guys have said because it validates parts that I think, like you said, Kai, are being silenced by the white imperial hegemonic grasp over the world and identity politics because it is politics at the end of the day partially at least one of the agents i like that you use that term the agents but not necessarily the only drivers because there is belonging and like this more emotional side for lack of a better word um longing i don't know for you guys but for me it's this itch that i just i have to i have to talk about these things day and night and saturday included <laughs> um, same I also just wanted to bring it back to I think Simone you brought this up guys our names so I think sort of we I don't think we overlook I think many of these like little ways like these little well not little the I guess variety of erasures we face when we're removed from the continent. I think sometimes we, because of everything we're bombarded with here, some of these things don't become immediately apparent, but just our names and how that's like one of the very first forms of erasure you face. This mm -hmm. idea that what's your name should have a meaning or that your name is like hard to pronounce and you have to change your name. Like, I, it's just so core. Like our names and our languages are just so core to our identities as being Africans, as being whatever different nationalities we hold. And these things are so, it's so powerful, I guess. I guess these mechanisms are so powerful and sometimes we don't necessarily reflect on them or talk about them enough, especially in a group, especially whether it's in classrooms or in sort of the diverse and inclusive spaces we have here um, on our college campuses and how just that erasure from our languages to our names and having to sort of contend and deal with that, as well as trying to figure out where we fit in to all of this, I guess, as Sarah said, identity politics, that were immersed with immediately upon arrival at the U.S. Um, can, oh, sorry. Oh, no, see, Go for know. it, Lenny. I can speak sure. after you. Yeah. Okay. 
I was just going to say, <laughs> sorry, um, that I think that, you know, the whole thing with names is, it's so incredibly, it makes me so sad, specifically because I think to the, to the point that my parents made an active decision to not give me like my first name as a traditional name. So when you see my name, like people don't know what I am, who I am. They just like see the name and they think that I'm going to be a white woman. And I guess also the way I speak, unfortunately, <laughs> they think that too. But it, it just, it makes me think about how crazy and how deeply rooted like the oppression and colonization was to the point that your parents, like my parents had a child and were like, we're not going to give them these names so they won't be discriminated against. At least there's some, they will, I mean, I still face discrimination, but like there's some sort of barrier, like slightly, like 0.5%. But you, you get my point. Yes, and I don't know if it's like we can not not saying that you were putting blame on our parents, but like on the system itself, that like it made our parents feel like, well, let me not say (laughs) okay, I don't know what's happening, but um that they felt like they had no other choice but to shelter, like to give you some sort of God, some sense of like shelter from the oppression, like I I don't know, but um as someone who no one has ever got like only a very few people have gotten my name right in my lifetime, and I've gotten to the point where I don't even contest sometimes to the names until like if I'm with someone they will contest it for me because I've gotten to the point where I'm just tired like all my white teachers growing up called me Sia um coming to the U.S. at some point people called me Sai and I was like is no one ever going to get my name right like everywhere I go like no one seems to know how to pronounce my name even my very own Swazis most times because the most common name is Sinetemba, and my name is Sinetemba. So people just go with Sinetemba because that's the most common name and the most like familiar name. When I say, no, it's Sia, people don't. It's just weird. And I even had like a family member who mispronounced my name at some point. And I was like, what the hell is going on? But it's just like, that is, you're right, Kai, in saying that's a form of erasure. And I try my best to pronounce people's names right. I will ask again and again just to make sure because like that's like some type of like disrespect to me if you fail time and time again to say my name right I take offense at that and I am tired of having to correct people over and over again because it's like that is at the core who you are your name is basically who you are and who you mostly Mm -hmm. identify as so you not like saying it right means you invalidating and you silencing the person that I am and everything that I come as, you know? So it's just, yeah, it is, it is something that we sometimes overlook, but also for me, it's mostly from a point of tiredness. I'm just so tired of having to correct people over and over and over again. When it's just so simple, like it's literally see, yeah, you don't need to try so hard. <laughs> uh... it's honestly it's just so funny how like I honestly so my name is Sentokai and to be honest it's like it's pronounced exactly as it's written like there's honestly not even 
no tricks no tricks to it exactly the way it's written and spelled out that's how it's pronounced and i get called kia and i'm just it's 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 weird i would say and i definitely agree with pia saying that it sort of invalidates and silences who you are essentially but also i would want to say that i don't necessarily put blame put a, um yeah i don't necessarily sort of blame our parents i also see them as victims i try to understand where they're coming from i try to sort of mm-hmm. understand that as children or as the next generation hell as children i don't as a younger generation that's the word um that we need to give them just a bit of a leeway because we're all victims in this i'm very sure the sort of silencing and like these oppressive um not forces but i would say there's many ways in which we were oppressed in which we were silenced whether it's within formal educational institutions or even within the home we have i have like i guess anecdotal evidence of friends going to friends homes where they insist that children speak english at home and how just not only terrifying that is just thinking of it as an sort of a way of erasing our identities at at the core but also how it does such a disservice to us all i guess parents and the younger generations alike and just they have figured out a way or sort of rationalized like this is what's good this is what's best for our children you know um and there's been a lot of unlearning even as a younger generation even as a person speaking from the eye that I've had to do and there's a lot of unlearning and learning likewise cuz i think of anime or antelani mentioned speaking on like languages and how some of us don't speak our um local languages or the language of our tribes i try to sort of learn it at this at my big age i can fluently speak i can't fluently speak my um local language and that that brings shame i guess personally that brings shame to me and i've tried to like learn and use that with my family members or grandparents or things like that but um i think these i think these conversations are crucial guys and they're raising good points and i'm just so glad i'm not the only one in this limbo as i'm not sure which one of you used that term but yeah no i think i really feel you on that i think my entire life i've been told that i'm not this i'm not that especially because of the language thing it's actually very sad but i'm so happy that you feel that too not that it's a good feeling but i'm happy that we have solidarity on the feeling oh yeah no i 100% relate to the language thing um and it's interesting that at least now it's become more um crucial i would say to my identity um just because like when i'm home and they're like older like elderly visitors they mm-hmm. will speak in the language and they'll tell me to speak in it and i will struggle and sometimes when i'm playing with younger children they'll be speaking in it and i can't speak to them which just makes me feel like incompetent but when i was younger it was barely i was barely spoken to in devele and additionally like 
I was made fun of because I talk white. So that deterred me from speaking it because I speak it with a weird accent. So it's, it's just so interesting that um, like now that we're older, we, we just like miss that connection when it wasn't like, and I don't know, I blame like the, the, I don't blame them, but more so I put the onus on um, like my grandparents for raising me and my mom for not having tried to teach my own tribal language to me and placing more emphasis on English when ironically when elders visit like I have to speak my own language but I can't so um the the issue of language um is I'm so happy you brought that up because um recently I've discovered that I'm kind of bad at both languages <laughs> in a way. Um, so I'm lucky enough that um, I grew up being growing up. My mom always spoke it, like spoke our language to us. So I understand and speak our language, but it's not as strong as I would like it to because for the past couple of years of my life, I've been forced to only speak English, but a couple of things, one thing I realized, and it might just be from like my own like family members and like adults in my family, I've realized like a lot of the older adults that I'll, older people that I'll meet who understand my language, it's almost like a way to shame me for not knowing my language if I don't know it. So I want to say like, please don't feel shame if you don't understand your language. Cause I feel like sometimes that shame is forced on you because it's like, I've had adults come up to me and be like, Oh, like, what's your name? And I'll pronounce it the English way. And I'm like, Oh, a fond man. They're like, do you know how to say it? Do you know how to properly pronounce it? And I'm like, yes. And I feel like there's such a huge burden on our generation to kind of, I don't know. I do feel like there's a, I don't, I can't necessarily like say the, like properly put into words, but I do feel like there's a burden on our generation. Um, and I also feel like it's weird because I found myself to like, I'm not a great English speaker. And whenever I try to write in English, my, I have, there, it's always filled with grammatical errors, but I'm also realizing that I'm not a strong speaker in my language either. So I don't know. I don't know. I feel like language is something that's so weaponized against the people. I definitely agree with what um, Ofanima just said. I think sometimes that shame that we feel or the, um, I guess the lack or the, yeah, the lack thereof of that ability to speak our local languages is sometimes weaponized against us. But honestly, I just have, before we move on from it, in case anyone, in case this topic is done, I just wanted to say that for me, leaving home and coming to the US, like I was good at my local language and everything. I took it all the way through up to IB and, um, like I was really good at it until I left home to come to the US. And um, now that I'm back home, I speak more English than I would like on just a normal day. And I find that when I have to speak my local language, I have to think really hard and just like mm. try to focus harder than I would, I used to. And it's just like, it's very weird because I'm like, I guess it's the fact that like when I'm away, all I'm speaking is English. And then when I, once I come back home, it's like, it just flows out of my body. Even like with my family members and everyone, 
I speak more English now. And thank God, like my family is very receptive to that. The young kids speak English all the time. So it's like, it's just weird how that form of like, that's also like a, a form of erasure, I guess, that just happens, but it's like circumstantial that it's happening. Um, yeah. First, I'm really glad that we brought up, like we brought up names and just like short little anecdote. So um, my dad wanted to name me Italy which means my daughter in Amazigh, which is like our native local language. And um, they switched to Sarah because they were like, oh, it will open more doors. That was kind of like the thinking behind it because it fits in French and in English and in Arabic. And it was important for them to pass in all three languages. Like it exists in all three. Um, but then still, I remember when they told me this as a kid, I took the name Illy and I started writing it as Ellie. You know, like when you're a kid and you get Facebook and you're like, oh, use the fake information and stuff because that's how we do it. Like, um, it was not even Facebook. It was MSN Messenger, like really, really old stuff. But I remember wanting my name to sound even more white, even more like what I heard, I guess, in TV and like what worked in... um. Because I went to, it's very weird in Morocco where you have the French system that was left by the French and then you have the Moroccan system that is modeled on the French system but some are French and Arabic and some are just Arabic um, and then for a very long time Amazigh and then the dialects different branches under Amazigh were forbidden for a very long time before colonization even they were just not allowed to be taught in school and that's the language that my parents speak. And I speak it enough that I can say I speak ish, but it's still very heavy because if I go to, there are some conversations that I can't have in Amazigh because they were never introduced to me because I didn't learn it. I just picked it up because my parents speak it, my grandparents, and I needed access to ask me the potatoes and like helping my grandma in the kitchen, you know, so very basic but still I could never have the kind of conversation that we're having now neither in Darija so Moroccan dialect nor Arabic the classical Arabic nor Amazigh maybe a tiny bit in French and that's why what to me like makes it so complicated is that these identities are not static nor stagnant but the fact that I only speak them in colonial languages further erases them instead of okay, let's develop how to speak about identity in Amazigh. Like, you know, because it definitely, I'm sure it exists. It's not like it's not there, but because it hasn't been there, because it the language itself has been nowhere. Like now they brought back the alphabet and I'm like, my grandparents or Amazigh don't know the alphabet because one, they're illiterate. And two, it was only a dialect because it was forbidden to learn the writing. So like, how do you even reclaim slash go back to that language? I don't know. My heart is heavy. Can we also um, just reflect, like, even on the term illiterate, like, basically you can't read or write in English, you know, it's like, it's, it's weird, guys, I guess it's just like my own, like, last tidbit before we move on, but just even how we describe people, because once you say, Oh yeah, also Sarah just mentioned dialect and language, which is also something I've been thinking of in which our local languages are called dialect. Like there's not enough authority in them or I don't know exactly what 
distinguishes our local languages being dialect and not seen as a language. But yeah, just even the term illiterate and how that sort of takes away whatever authority or perceived authority some people may have. I mean, back home, English has such a cultural capital that you can say so much in our local language that makes perfect sense. You can say the most brilliant things in a local language or one of either of our local languages, but because it's in our language, you're not deemed intelligent. You're deemed as not knowing exactly what you're talking about or you don't know what you're saying or don't have an understanding of anything because you're not speaking or you're not writing in English. But yeah, I think those have just been, as I've said, just one of the many agents through which imperialism sort of operates and just that long-lasting, horrific legacy of colonialism. No, I think you ended that like brilliantly, like, oof, go off, sis. Like, the, and that reminds me of like the book that you were talking about, because I read part of it briefly, Decolonizing the Mind. Just why are, I don't, just why these like colonial languages are just so revered above like native languages. And everyone can speak that native language, but they aren't deemed as being well like well read or even like worth listening to if they can't speak english their their thoughts are valued less than somebody who has been educated in english which is just mind-boggling but i just wanted to check in with everyone if you guys have said what you wanted to say with regards to language and identity and blackness or africanness because we're about to move to other forms of identity before we move on to talking about other parts of our identities and trying to dissect that, we would love, love, love to hear what you thought of this week's episode. And thank you so, so much for listening. Um, join us next week. We'll continue the conversation further and try and figure out and dissect and just talk through it, you know. And thank you. Enjoy the rest of your week.